I found some interesting, if also discouraging, social science about how the two sides in the country think the other side's very immoral. But I want to start with a revelation that came from my Facebook memories on this week's Corey Truax Show. are somehow unfamiliar with the feature it goes like this every day facebook will tell you on this day in history you posted these things sometimes it's the most humbling of experiences to look back on 20 year old me or 25 year old me and some of the folly and or rancor and anger that i would express it's always an adventure looking back on facebook memories and i found one a theme over the last five or six days that led me to a revelation about something I might be, we all might be, missing out on in modern day. I'll start there in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets on Sunday morning in Greenville, South Carolina. If you are around and without a church home, you are always invited. And we would love to have you. When I'm not doing that or the many other various and sundry roles that I get to play... I'm also doing this show where we are dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk about everything, and I hope that's what we do right now. If you don't recall, it's about six years ago, maybe five or six years ago, it was the time in the year that the Charlottesville, Virginia thing happened, when a bunch of actual white supremacists, like something that we thought didn't exist anymore, got together in Charlottesville, and then unfortunately there was the... The, conf- the conflation of people who were also just there that weren't white supremacists but thought, hey, maybe we shouldn't tear down statues. And if you are going to tear down statues of historical figures, maybe the right authorities should do that like through governments and you random vandals shouldn't get to decide for all of us what statues come down. And so a reasonable group of people ended up mixed in with some real horrific folks. One person, and then there was also protesters of the protesters. You remember what happened in Charlottesville. It was ugly and terrible. And I found in my Facebook memories, me saying so. I found myself talking about the sin of ethnic supremacy, including white supremacy. I talked about the sin of of anyone thinking that by condition of the melanin in their skin, that they might have advantage or superiority over someone who looks differently than them. And I went after it and called it a sin. And it was. I was right when I said that. I found those memories. I was sharing a whole sermon that David Platt did in the weeks right after that. You probably know the pastor, David Platt. Shared a clip of Matt Chandler, who didn't do a whole sermon, but instead of just doing his sermon before his sermon started that week, he said, let's talk about what happened there, and he called out the sin. And I, I saw all of that in my memories, and for some reason, it caught me odd, and I started thinking it through. Here's the conclusion I I came to. It's good that Christianity reacted that way to white supremacy coming to the fore. It it was important that when a particular sin became obvious, it's a very small group of people, but a sin that has been largely hidden and we didn't know what was happening, when that sin reared its head, we called it sin and called people to repentance. That was good. What I... I think what happened to me was then wondering, I wonder why we 
don't treat all sins like that. Like there was this big moment in the in the culture, and we we found a sin and preached against against it. There was something in the the small prophetic voice that I have. I don't, I don't talk about prophecy as telling the future, but foretelling, just saying what's true. The thus saith the Lord. Your white supremacy, your ethnic supremacy, your preference for people who look like you, this is sin. That prophetic voice jumped up in me, and then I just wonder about my own lack of prophetic voice on other things. I think I even have my own fear of... Maybe I, I might have overreacted to religious rightism. I get, I get upset that the church in America was so closely associated with republicanism, was so closely accept, uh, associated with a, an actual political party, to the extent that it almost felt like we were co-opted. I've, I've said before, what evangelicals are to the Republican Party, black voters are to the Democratic Party. They're just taken for granted. They don't actually care about us, but we're useful. And so they, just keep, they keep expecting the votes to come in, whether or not they give us anything or not. And we became too closely associated, and so I think I got nervous about saying things that sounded like it's a, it's a conservative point instead of a theological one, and that's not right. I think I, did, I think I got it wrong. I got nervous about just saying all of the spirits of the age, whatever they are, they are sinful, and with the same ferocity that we all came after white supremacy as a sin to be repented of, we also need to have the same ferocity and intensity about the other sins of the age. It is a moral hazard that our culture has accepted homosexuality. God will judge harshly. He's going to send judgment. I think he is sending judgment on us for all of our sins, for our materialism and for our acceptance of sexual deviation, for our racism, for all the sins of the United States. But because the sexuality discussion starts to feel like politics, we, we, may, we may back off of it. And I don't, at least I, I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say we. I might use a different tone and say, I, I want to win someone over. And so I'm going to not be as, not, not be as strident on that. And I'm, listen, in personal conversations, every one of them is going to be different. And often, being really cantankerous is a really bad way to go. Being aggressive is a bad way to go. I think I'm just, I found a, a deficiency in me. I was willing to get super harsh in my social media. I don't do much social media at all anymore, but back then, I was very willing to be super harsh about this sin, white supremacy, or racism generally. But at the same time, as I talked about sexuality or gender confusion or family breakdown, all of these sins that God is going to judge just as much as he judges racism, I was more timid. And I, I can't pretend, I could, I could just pretend, well, that's because I think one has to be dealt with aggressively because it's effective and the other has to be dealt with winsomely because it's, that's going to be effective. But no, that's probably just me being timid. It's probably just me being a little overly cautious. And so as I come to the mic today, it's actually what I wanted to say. I looked back on Charlottesville and found a very clear me about the sin of racism. And then I'm looking around the spirit of the age right now. What is most prominent now in the culture? And I want to say them out loud and call, and call them what they are. 
And I think we have to. Again, personal conversations, you might not use the same tone, but I want to say it out loud. The ethic of our spiritual, excuse me, sexual liberation is evil. It's bad. The fact that we live in a culture that sees basically all sexual relationships as morally equal, that's bad. That's sinful. God will judge that. The, the fact that we largely accept, put on TV, celebrate in, in our books and art, the fact that we celebrate homosexual marriages, it's bad. It's evil. God's going to judge it. it uh, I, ooh, I'll, I'll save that thought. Let me do the other ones. It is, it is an evil that we are pumping kids with drugs. It's an evil that we are cutting body parts off of minors and, for that matter, adults. It's evil that we have gone into this age of being true to yourself is the most important thing, and we are mutilating the bodies God has given us, manipulating those bodies with chemicals. That's the spirit of the age right now, just as much as racism reared its head in 2016 or 17, whenever that was. That's where we are right now. I want to say it out loud. It's bad. These are sins. God's going to judge. There is no space. I'll say it this way. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, is incompatible with the endorsement of any other sexuality than heterosexuality in marriage. Nothing else is acceptable. Nothing else is in concordance with the will of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one position on the concept of gender and, and sex that is acceptable and and is in alignment with the gospel of Jesus. And that is those born with XY chromosomes are men and they should fulfill the roles of men. Those born with XX chromosomes and all the reproductive organs of women, they are women. They should fill the roles of women. Those are roles all the way around for men and women. They're honored. They're made in the image of God and every other take on that will answer to a holy God. And if we are claiming to be in the faith and adopting worldly, sinful positions on sexuality and gender, we are outside of orthodoxy. I think we need to say this one out loud. The breaking apart of our families, men who get women pregnant and don't marry those women and take care of them, take care of their kids, men and women who are getting divorced and breaking their kids' world up through their divorces. This is bad, this is evil, and you pursuing your own happiness at the detriment of your kids, that's something to repent of. Man, those three things I just said are super unpopular. I just said there is no way to to rectify being a Jesus follower and endorsing homosexuality, gender confusion, or the breakdown of the of the family because people need to because adults feel like they need to be happy. There isn't a way to rectify the two. And I said them all fairly angrily, and I know in a one-on-one conversation, maybe that's not, that's not effective, but I was saying the thing about racism angrily six years ago. And I just think I found a, I don't know, I found an inconsistency in myself, and I wanted to get to this microphone and make it better. This is, this is also a life lesson. I tried, to do, I tried to do that on this show. You can go too far with introspection, retrospection, and become a, you know, a, what they call that, a, a belly a belly button gazer. You know, you you ponder the meaning of your belly button or the and the belly button on the humans. Like, where did it come from? Did the, did Adam and Eve have one? You know, just deep, meaningless thoughts. So I, I don't want to go too far on this, but I think the Lord has been good to give me often a spirit of introspection and retrospection, looking back on where I've been, to pinpoint differences, and trying not to only think about the external things of the world. 
what's in the news, what's going on at work, but to ask what's going on in me. And that's not something we are built for in this culture. We are built for distraction so that you never think about where you've been and where God has brought you to. That you do not have an introspective thought about whether or not you're improving or devolving or you are going back to bad habits. If you're making any progress at all or if you're just kind of just floating along in the ether. It's important to do that. To do self-assessment. To get wise people to speak into that self-assessment. So one, I just wanted to correct my own imbalance. Two, it's a good lesson in introspection and retrospection. And then the final one I wanted to do was this. If I did this recently on the show, I'm sorry. This is gonna. This is a possibility that I did this on the show, and this is a repeat material. But I think I only said this to someone in a conversation recently. I hope so. I am. I am re-enlivened with the the human sexuality debates. They were some of the early ones in my career, if you can say that, in my public life. Like I really got into these things in 01 when I was 14. And so I was around for the 06 marriage amendment here in South Carolina. It was a big deal. Um, I was a, a, I can't say a prominent voice, but I was a consistent voice out on the socials as most of the country, actually about two-thirds of the states, amended their constitutions to define marriage as one man and one woman about why that is a good idea. And it, sh- it should be the case that, I'll, I'll say it out loud, male-female marriages are not ethically or morally or socially equal to same-sex marriages. They don't do the same things for a populace, and so treating them differently makes total sense. It actually makes logical sense. If you want me to build that out more in a future episode, email coretruexshow at gmail.com. Ask for me to do that, and I will do it. Here's, here's why I think I'm getting back into it. I have lived now in this new left-to-secular world where they tell me the worst thing is whiteness. The worst thing is uh, cultures that supersede cultures of color and minority cultures. And I want to look back at them now as I've just learned more and say, your entire sexual ethic is very white. It's very privileged. The two things that you say that you hate the most in the world, privilege and whiteness or white privilege, your sexual ethic is the whitest, most privileged thing. You know, even in cultures where there is polygamy, polyamory, they treat sex with the seriousness that, sir, if you have a bunch of wives, you, you take care of those wives, every one of them. You take care of all the kids you have because they linked sex to something meaningful. If you are having sex with somebody, it means something. You better marry them and take care of them. The, the sexual ethic around the world in cultures of color is often the biblical sexual ethic. When they get outside the biblical sexual ethic, it typically is po- uh, polygamy. It's to being married to more than one person. So this idea of sex as recreation, you woke white people made that up. You, you Sigmund Freuded it. The uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau gave it to you. It was woke white Westerners that decoupled sexuality from meaning. And so how dare you? You colonizer, you cultural colonizer, taking your sexual ethic, your privileged white sexual ethic to the rest of everybody. That's, well, anyway, that's just me being smart aleck and something I've been wanting to say. All right, I got it. I'm way over. When we come back, I have a piece of social science that is, it's largely discouraging. It just shows how there's a hostility growing 
where people that consider themselves on one side or the other see the other side as deeply immoral. I want to break that down and maybe the cultural significance and consequences. We'll do that in a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. If this moment in our cultural history has shown anything, it's that largely a lot of us hate each other. I have often said that as we, we're scared of each other. I know it's not a scriptural reference, but Yoda actually gets this right from Star Wars where he says, how did he say it to Luke? Uh, Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And so all of it comes back to fear primarily that makes us then act like we're angry and we're so angry we seem hateful and that hate leads to suffering, but it all comes back to fear. If this moment in America has proven anything, there's a lot of fear of one another and I found some more social science to back that up and I I don't know we got I don't know if we have a solution to it but we should probably talk about it. Welcome back to the Corey Act show wherever you find podcasts and right here on his radio talk you can find me your host Corey Truax on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my weird name. You'll find me there. You can also email the show at Show at gmail.com. That Truax is T-R-U-A-X, Show at gmail.com. You can send stories, comments, reactions to the show there, and I hope that you will. I come to you with data from the Pew Research Center. They do a lot of good work. I actually will often pay to get to the to the PDF or the, the full speed results of what they do. Here's the headline as I would say it. The degree to which people who identify with political parties, people who call themselves Republicans and call themselves Democrats, the degree to which they dislike each other and think bad things about each other has skyrocketed over the last little bit less than a decade. This goes from right before the 2016 election till now. So what is that? Almost... Is that, is that six years? Okay, so half a decade. Now, something I, I struggle with on these Pew Research polls is sometimes it seems they're using the words Republicans to talk about just generally the American right and Democrats talk about generally the American left. So don't hear it that way. They are specifically using people who identify. They say, I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. And then they respond to these questions. So here's, just, here's what they found. Over the last six years, the degree to which that one group would say of the other group, I think they are close-minded, di- more close-minded, dishonest, immoral, unintelligent, or lazy. I The, the degree to which I think that those Republicans or Democrats are more those things than the average American. So to give you the, I'll give you the breakdown. Go with closed-minded. In 2016, 70% of Democrats said, yeah, I think the typical Republican is more closed-minded than the average American. At the time, 52% of Republicans said the same thing of Democrats. Yeah, I think that they're they're more closed-minded than your average American. Those numbers are now 83% and 69%. Up 13 for for the left and up 17 for the right. Dishonest. This is actually kind of cute. In 2016, Republicans said, 45% of Republicans said, Democrats are likely more dishonest than your typical Americans. And only 42% of Democrats said that of the other. 
So look look at how how sweet a time that was. Forty five percent and forty two percent. They said of the other, they're they're prob only only forty five percent and forty two percent said they're probably more dishonest than your average American. Now those numbers are seventy two and sixty four. It's almost it's thirty point difference or not quite. How about this one? Two thousand sixteen. <laughs> Good gosh. In 2016, uh, 47% of Republicans said the average Democrat is more immoral than the average American. And the average Democrat, uh, excuse me, 35% of Democrats said the average Republican is more immoral than the typical American. Both of those numbers are around 70 now, 72 and 71. They look at each other and say, You're, they're, they are, and they're immoral people compared to the rest of us. The unintelligent numbers have not changed, really. Um, it's... It was 33 and 32%, 16. It's now 52 and 51%. So the, the partisan gap has gone up even more. Here's the one that at least, <laughs> I'll, uh, you know what? This is funny to me, but there's also, I can take an important lesson from this. The question is lazy. Do you think the typical Democrat or Republican is more or less lazy than your average American? And in 2016, 46% of Republicans said, yep. Democrats are more lazy than your average American. And at the time, only 18% of Democrats said that. 18% of Democrats said Republicans are more lazy than the average American. There's almost like an internal understanding. Yeah, folks on the right, they're the ones going out and making things happen. They're, they're working hard. That number for the right has gone up to 62%. For Democrats, it's only gone up about 8 points to 26%. So they seem to all, uh, they seem to all get it that your hardworking folks are on the right. Here's my point on that one. Of course, American rightism, is, it is not it's purely the biblical worldview, but it is definitely the more biblical worldview. It's closer in alignment. And I think you have that, there's that biblical ethic of work throughout even the law God gave to his people. The folks who receive charity, who receive mercy, are those who are the deserving poor. It is the widow. It is the orphan. It's the, uh, it's, it's the, the elderly, like these people who really cannot care for themselves. And if you are able to provide for yourself and you don't, you are not getting help. That was, that was the system. You may not like that, but that was the system. And I, I think the right generally comes to then your welfare systems and wants the same things. And then modern day governance Sure, there can be a system for the truly needy, but no, we don't want to start, we don't want a giant tax credit for having kids, and we don't want to start sending out unemployment benefits that are beefed up without any proof that anyone's trying to find a job. No, we don't want that stuff. And so there's the, then the view becomes, and those that do want that, that w- do want to reward the doing of nothing, the not working, yeah, they're lazy. Or at least they don't mind that other people are lazy. Okay, so that is the data. The data is the degree to which we think the other is uh, intelligent, lazy, closed-minded, dishonest, and moral has gone up radically in the last few years. That, That probably doesn't surprise you, and that just leads us inexorably to the question of, okay, well, how do you want us to respond to that? Well, this poll... It just shows you that a lot of people want third, fourth, fifth, and sixth parties. I I do think that'd be great. I think it'd be awesome to have to do some more coalition building. Things feel less like winner-take-all destruction. 
the forces in media and in politics that want to make you feel like every election is life or death. They become disempowered when there are more options. We all know how far away we are from such a thing happening. So, sure, that's one way. I would encourage you to remember one of the themes of the show. We do not work in labels. Even when someone labels themselves an ideology, it's worth asking some questions. What do you mean by that? What's that word mean to you? What are your priorities? You know, I, I found, that was another, I can't find it on the spot. There was a, a study from Pew that talked about meaning. Where do you find meaning in life? And it showed that the number, found it, haha, I love when I can find things live while I'm recording. So they asked folks on the right and on the left, again, they called them Republicans and Democrats, where do you find meaning in life? And the number one response for both groups was family and children. 52% Democrats, 49% Republicans said family and children. Now, by the way, that's a problem. It's, it actually is a problem culturally that the, the number one response to where do you find meaning in life is my family and my children. Okay, well, something might happen to them. You might need to find a, a more sure meaning than, than family and children. Your kids might disappoint you. What are you going to do then? But here's the, the big fundamental difference. It's that number two on the left was friends and community. Three is material well-being. Fourth is job, occupation. Five is physical mental health. And uh, six is hobbies. Number two is, for, for folks on the right, faith, religion, spirituality. Now, that needs to be number one. It's the only place that you can actually find meaning that will stick around in all of the hardest things. But it doesn't even show up on the list for the left. So it, when it comes to bridging gaps, one of the questions needs to be not thinking inside labels. It asks the questions, maybe like, well, where do, where do you find meaning? What are the important things in life? And you might find folks label themselves one way. I find, man, I find this to be true often. This... Oh, here's a good way to say it. I thought Ben Shapiro made a really good point back in 2016. He made the point, hey, if, you, if we do this thing with Trump, he's so disliked that he's going to hurt the word conservative and we're never going to get it back. It's going to be ruined and corrupted for all time. And when we call ourselves conservatives, you know, young folks coming up, they won't be able to abide it because he was associated with the word. He's going to ruin the brand. And so because he was associated with the word, even though he wasn't actually associated with the ideas, some people label themselves just against the thing they hate. They know what they don't like, and so I, they label against it. They, they know they don't like Christians. They grew up in a weird religious situation, and so they become atheists. And they think they're atheists, but they don't actually live like it. They have all kinds of superstition. They, they often, this is a very normal human behavior. It's an unhealthy and immature human behavior, but they slap a label on themselves in opposition to the things they dislike and find distasteful. So it's, it's worth not using the labels and getting past that and asking some questions. So that, that's one. So sure, third, fourth, and fifth parties would be helpful to getting past the labels and trying to see a human, a human that holds ideas, find out what those ideas are. That helps us bridging some of the gap where we find out, oh, maybe you're not as lazy or dishonest as, or whatever those other negative things were as my stereotype of you was. Now, all of that brought me to 
somewhat related, but one of my favorite stories about this. If you've never read The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think Jonathan Haidt is a top five most important public intellectual of our time. Him, Malcolm Gladwell, I'd put in Simon Sinek. And I think right now the most important is the guy I can't remember the name of, but he wrote a very important Christian book, two Christian books here lately. Uh, oh, Corey, come on. He, he wrote the, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Carl Truman, that's it, Carl Truman. I needed to get my word association there. He just released a brand new book I'd like to get. But Jonathan Haidt is the guy who did a lot of social science. He's at NYU, New York University. He's not a Christian. But the same way that non-Christians can discover new planets and stars, non-Christians can discover, uncover ideas. And he's done a great job with something called the Moral Foundations. He's done a lot of work on where our morals come from. After, I've talked about this on the show a lot. I'm not going to give you the, the, the very, deep, uh, very deep dive again. If you just look up Moral Foundations at Jonathan Haidt, you'll find it. I think I've, I've recommended the test to you before. I took it again here recently. It's gotten even better. Anyway, he has this experiment he does near the end of The Righteous Mind where he brings in lots of self-described liberals and lots of self-described conservatives. And he gets them to take his morality test, the one that you can go take out on the internet now. It's a great test. And he asks them, take it, there's the phrase, hey liberals, take this test as if you were the typical conservative. And then he said to conservatives, take this test as if you were the typical liberal. Answer it like you think they would answer it. And the conservatives taking the test got really close to how actual liberals, they were off a little bit, but how actual liberals answered. But the liberals who took the test were way off. And that should not surprise us because they live and we all live in a media ecosystem that basically says this. Conservatives like limited government because they hate poor people. And they generally generally like law and order because they hate black people. And they're against abortion because they hate women. They're just made up of some hatred, hatred, hatey hate. And so, of course, that media ecosystem makes it seem like you're, you're not going to have any kind of rationality for the things you think or believe. And so what I pulled up for you, an actual book. Can you believe that? I pulled a book. And you're not supposed to read on the air, but I, I, can, uh, I can make this fun. I just want to read you that little piece of it. So I give you the whole setup um, to answer like the, your typical partisan. Here is what they found. The results were clear and consistent. Moderates and conservatives were most accurate in their predictions, whether they were pretending to be liberals or conservatives. Liberals were the least accurate, especially those who described themselves as very liberal. The biggest errors, uh, where'd it go? Biggest errors in the whole study came when liberals answered the questions about care and fairness. So care and fairness are two of the six moral foundations. Uh, When they were answering those questions pretending to be conservatives. When they faced the question... One of the worst things a person can do is hurt a defenseless animal. And the question, justice is the most important requirement of society. Liberals assumed that conservatives would disagree with those two statements. Wow. Sheesh. Okay, got to continue. He continues with, if you have a moral matrix built primarily on care and fairness, and you listen to a conservative narrative, what else would you think? 
the conservatives like Reagan seem completely unconcerned about the welfare of drug addicts or poor people. They're more interested in fighting wars and telling people how to run run their sex lives. That's how they're seeing it. So when they because the the liberal morality is built only on care and fairness at the cost of everything else. So the other things that make up morals like loyalty, sanctity, authority, structure, these these other morals they don't matter, just fair and careness. When you build a when you build that your morality on that, you assume those against you would say, well, yeah, it's fine if you hurt an animal. Who cares? Or, uh, what was the other one? That justice isn't important. No, we, we think justice is important, and we also love animals. So we don't want, you to, don't want you to hurt them. So, anyway, my point is, obviously we've gotten more divided. Sure, more political parties would help. I'd love to see that happen. Try to communicate with humans, not labels. And then recognize, especially those of us on the right, that's most of my audience, we are naturally better at it because we think of all of the morals. We're going to keep in balance loyalty, authority, sanctity, care for others, fairness and systems. And we are dealing with folks that don't do that. And so we got to be patient and help folks recognize it. It's not that there's an immorality in my worldview. It's that I have lots of different balances as I'm considering that which is right and that which is wrong. And then outside of just conservatism, going directly to Bible, for the Christian, we find our, we find the, about to say our truth, that's not what I meant, find the truth definitively and authoritatively in that one source alone. When we return, I know the show's already been a fairly political, but I, we're in that time of year, we're coming up on the midterms, and I actually do think I have something unique to say that you're not getting out in the punditry. I don't, I, you could probably already hear it. I don't want to. I don't want to tread those waters, but I need to. I think it'll be helpful to help you understand the world around you. We'll do that when you come back, and we'll do a little bit more for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. So, about that search at Mar-a-Lago down in Florida, the Trump estate. That has just made everything worse. Welcome to the Corey Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't want to get into these waters, but I think it's important that we do. Well, you can reach the show at CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. You can also find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. There is some strong chance that after you hear what I'm about to say, you're going to want to respond to the narrative I set out. So, let's get started. Here's how I saw it. In general, it's better for the whole country if we move on. We move on from the previous president. I got a lot of years ahead of me. I want to be done with him. It's healthier if we're done with him and if we all just do something else. It's actually, if you think about it now, in retrospect, it was incredible, the power he had over people. I mean, he commanded the attention of his enemies, like no, Truly like nothing I've ever seen. A lot of them just got up in the morning, seething with hatred and anger, and were hooked like a drug on feeling angry and hatred again, and would go to the sources to find out what they should be angry about, and they just, they were driven by him. He was the center of the universe. And there was a whole other group of people the other direction. He was, 
He became the North Star for an entire culture, and we've never had that. It was so weird. It was so bizarre. I don't, don't know how he did it. And it's good if we can move on from him. And here's how I see it as a creature of the right. Maybe those of you who are also not all that political, maybe you noticed it amongst your family, your feed. A lot of the right was moving on. You started to see polling that showed Ron DeSantis down in Florida was a striking distance, a poll every now and then in primary polling showing DeSantis even up. More and more folks on the right starting to show in, in, in the data that they didn't want him to run again. I, I noticed this. This is a powerful statement, guys. I mean, uh, Trump did that uh, rally, I think, out in Arizona for the candidates out there. You know, two two years ago, all the networks would have showed it. They would have gone live, even CNN, MSNBC. It's in part how they made him president. They were so obsessed with him, all the including Fox. Obviously, they put him on everything. No network covered it, and not only that. This is important. Laura Ingram on Fox actually had on Ron DeSantis during the rally when Trump was speaking. In the business, we call that counter programming. So when you know your opponent is doing something and you you want to take attention away from it, you put on something exciting so as to try to get attention for yourself. They counter-programmed Trump with DeSantis. If you look at the numbers on Fox, they aren't talking about him anymore. In general, the right seems to be getting more and more comfortable with moving on. Not all, Certainly not all the way there, but it was moving that direction, and that's good. It was healthy. The left refuses to move on because, again, he, he became the animating force of life. He was the reason to be alive. He was the reason to feel anything, to do anything. He was, he was the, again, the, the, the North Star, the Lodestar. And I, I don't subscribe to any conspiracy theories, so I'm not going to tell you that I think the FBI did something political here. Maybe Merrick Gar- Garland did. But I, th- I think there's a, a leftist obsession with him still. Like they, they dream of him in handcuffs behind bars. And so the, and they can't reason themselves out of that. They can't reason themselves on into the future because leftism is primarily emotional. It's not reasonable. And so the emotions of anger, bitterness, drive towards that outcome. And because leftism is largely uh, faithless, it's a secular thing. It's not a, it's not a religious, certainly not a Christian thinking. There's no grace. There's no grace and there's no reason. There's just emotionalism. And so they got to go after it to satisfy their own emotions and need for revenge. And so while the right was getting close to moving on and forgetting, this very provocative thing happened. And now, I mean, it's not provocative to me. I don't, maybe you can even hear me, hear my disinterest in it personally, but just as a, a commentator seeing it happen. And where the right was maybe moving on, they're not moving on anymore. <laughs> they're just... They feel that knee-jerk reaction to defend and now go after his enemies because he was their lodestar too. And we really just all need to move on. I even see folks on the right 
making the very bad strategic mistake of spending time on this process with the former president. There is only one effective strategy for for winning, if that's if that's what they want to do. If the primary vehicle for conservatism, which is unfortunately is the Republican Party, if the primary vehicle for those ideas wants to win, it cannot get distracted with this. You have three things. Just keep saying them. Inflation, economy, crime. If you want to, you can talk about weak, uh, weak international leadership, and that's why Afghanistan is back under Taliban rule, Taiwan is being threatened, and Russia invades Ukraine. But if your message is inflation, crime, economy, you'll do really well. People care about that stuff. If your message becomes, get this, defund the police, if it becomes the FBI is corrupt, law enforcement is the problem, do you know who you sound like? You sound a little bit like the message that lost the left so many seats in the House in 2020. Your own version of defund the police. You're getting distracted. Don't do it. You know, I, there was a time in my life where political consultation was something I, I, I aspired or thought I might want to do. And thank the Lord that didn't happen. I, I love getting to primarily do I don't know what I do. I wish I could do more church stuff and broadcasting, but I'm glad I ended up where I did. But if I am the consultant for any candidate on the right, this is a very easy set of ads to run. It's a very easy uh, opening statement to put in debate. I'm actually, I'm going to do this live on the air. Let's see how good I am at it. I'm putting a one-minute timer on my phone right now, and if they're if they're asking me, hey, what is our messaging? What's our, our pitch? So it has to be less than 60 seconds. What's the pitch for the midterms? Here's the winning pitch. Three, two, one, go. My opponent is associated with the ideas and associated with the president who gave you world record gas prices. And gas prices, even now that they're bragging, are lower are still some of the highest you've ever seen. Your grocery bill is 40 and 50% higher than it was. The job market is slowing, housing is slowing, and you're paying more than you ever have. They want to talk about your wages going up and your wages can't pay for all of the higher prices that you're seeing. These, this economy is in shambles and all they're trying to do to improve it is to get you to buy solar panels, electric cars, and new appliances with their, uh, with their rebates. The there's crime in the streets, drugs are everywhere, violent crime on your TV every night, and all they can give you is to fund the police. And my opponent is associated with all of those ideas and the president that supports them. We must deal with these folks by voting for me. That was a minute and four seconds. And that was my first try, by the way. I could tighten that down to a 40-second pitch. That's the pitch. Now, that's effective. Here's your other option. They're being unfair to the President of the United States. Donald Trump was unfairly raided. The FBI is corrupt to its bones. We have to do something about the corruption in our law enforcement and get justice for Donald Trump. Which of those is more effective? Focus. I already see folks on the right 
getting unfocused from the message that will do them well. And listen, guys, I don't, I don't think Garland and the FBI meant to do this. I don't think they're clever enough. But doing what they have done, which has the consequence of an electoral, of a great electoral strategy. If the, if elections are about Donald Trump, the right loses. He's quite the liability. He just fires everybody up. Yeah, he fires up some of yours, but he fires up a lot of people who just don't want to be involved at all because he's just so volatile. And you need to learn that. Everyone on the right needs to learn that. Get over him. He's almost, I know this sounds morbid, he's almost dead. He's almost as old as Joe Biden. Both of these men will be dead in 10 years. Are you really going to spend a lot of time trying to get what you think is justice for a guy who's not going to be around in 10 years? Who really didn't do much for you anyway? All he did for you was make angry the people you don't like? It's, it's not worth it. And it's time to move on. If the, if the election is about him and things he's done in the past and whether or not he's going to come back, you will miss an incredible opportunity. And if the election is, what it, is about what it should be, record inflation, record crime, and a teetering economy, no one can afford to buy a house or you know, rent, if you, if you can do that stuff, you'll win. You'll do quite well indeed. The thing is, I, I think that that personality is such a control on people just don't, I don't know if they're going to do it. Uh, I have two more things I wrote down on the prep sheet. Let's do those in our final five minutes together. I was thinking about this giant bill that passed. And it's, it's perverse incentives. A lot of it, you know, is supposed to be going towards environmental things. Yeah. I, don't, I, I feel like this should be the kind of stuff that, like a Bernie Sanders type get, gets mad at and a Corey Truax type gets mad at. Think of the, the word I'm looking for is unvirtuous, whatever the opposite of virtuous, so corrupt, the corrupt circle of items here. So let's take the giant corporations, which folks on the left are supposed to hate. Ford and Chevy, we're supposed to not like them, they're big giant corporations that make too much money. Their primary interest is making money and staying alive in a very competitive market. All right, so now they look out at just trying to sell cars but they also live in a regulatory environment where there's a bunch of folks in the government that want to regulate them and make it harder for them to make a profit. And so they look at that group that says, all right, so you guys want to regulate us and make it harder for us to make a profit. Well, what do you guys want? Oh, you guys want electric cars. Okay. Well, let's make electric cars. Let's make those. Now, let's keep making the F-150. Let's keep making the, the what's another, a Chevy, a, I don't know what, let's keep making our trucks and our SUVs that make us all the money, but to fend off the regulatory capture of government, let's also make electric cars. And then leftist governments then say, we want to offer money to help the giant corporations sell their electric cars. That's, that's really that's all they do. All, offering a $7,500 credit is, tr- is saying we want to give Ford and Chevy and all these other companies this money so that people will buy your cars. By the way, I, I saw it was kind of, kind of obvious. Um, I think it was Ford. They raised their price for their electric, whatever electric car they have, by 
like eight grand right after the $7,500 credit came out because they realized what's happening. The same people who were going to buy our, our electric car, they were always going to buy it with, without the credit or not. And since they're going to buy it anyway, we'll just raise our price. Guys, we saw that in the college world when state scholarships came along around 20, 25 years ago when South Carolina started, started offering life scholarships, South Carolina tuition grant. That, you know, that's about five, let's call it five or six grand of aid. Colleges were like, uh, I was always going to get these 1,000 students to enroll. So if you're telling me these 1,000 students have $5,000 in their pocket from the U, I'm just going to raise my prices $5,000. I'll take the five grand from the state. They're still going to pay what we told them to pay last year. And we'll just keep rolling the money. And that's all the, the car companies did as well. So, but, but you, do you see the unvirtuous cycle? Ford and Chevy just want to be profitable and stay alive. So they make cars to stay alive. They find out we can fend off our regulators by making electric cars. And then the lovers of electric cars say, we'll just give more money to the corporations to make the electric cars only giving Ford and Chevy more of what they want, which is the ability to stay alive and be profitable. And I guess not just be profitable, but then to have what they need to keep selling more of their core products because they're not going to sell fewer SUVs and F-150s. I think it's a decade in a row. The F-150, obviously one of the biggest polluters there is, is the number one selling vehicle in the country every year. Those things are expensive. Nevertheless, they sell a lot of them. And this entire cycle is just going to allow Ford and Chevy to continue selling their big polluters and big money makers, while at the same time sort of bribing or doing enough favors to those who would regulate them to uh, and still make extra money off these electric cars that, again, the people who are always going to buy them were the ones that were going to buy them. There was never going to be... A, this, this bill didn't create any new electric car customers. It just makes the, the giant corporations that the left is supposed to hate in the first place just makes them more money. When you get big corporation and big government together, it's just extra gross. All right. I'll try next week to have a much less political show. I know the whole back two-thirds of it was, and it's just kind of dirty. So let's, I don't know, go watch a puppy video as a palate cleanser. I'll be back with another new edition of the Core Truex Show next week. Until then, peace and love.